ICA Gear has outfitted over 10,000 bow hunters across the country, and we're continuing to raise the bar when it comes to bow hunting camo. New for the 23 season, we introduce our never-before-seen panel fabric system designed to be dead quiet along with our patent-pending bow hunting collar, Osseo Gear. Features and function built for bow hunters by bow hunters. Learn more at asiogear.com. Welcome to Bear Bow Hunter Podcast with your host, Nate Bailey, where we look to the ancient paths of our hunting ancestors to guide our future, where woodsmanship and hard work outweigh advanced shooting devices, where we value those who have gone before us and welcome those who are yet to come. Join us as we exchange valuable insight about the Bear Bow Hunter's lifestyle. so much more about hunting than pulling a trigger or releasing an arrow and uh today we're going to talk about that in this podcast and uh one of the one of the big things is i drew my antelope tag after 13 years of waiting and i drew it in a place that's near and dear to me and and the unit is ochico it's ochico unit um in central oregon and it's not the best pronghorn tag to get um definitely some of the trophy size and those kind of things kind of play against it but there's one thing about this unit that is special and that is the fact that i have spent a ton of time um and i have so many memories in this unit that uh i just really want to uh hunt the unit for what it is and i've seen a lot of antelope over the years in this unit my uncles have drawn in the past my cousins have drawn in the past and they all got antelope in this unit and um it's really interesting to me when i start looking because when i say that there's more to hunting than pulling a trigger or releasing an arrow um this is part of what i'm talking about you guys may have seen our our t-shirt or our sweatsh or our, yeah t-shirt that has it says tradition it has a old ford bronco on it that bronco is actually a picture of my uncle's bronco and i can remember that bronco clear back in when i was you know five six years old and so when we talk about um the things that the life outdoors are um or barebow hunter for that matter um it's tradition and when we talk about things of hunting you know i, I look around and i see the hunting community changing um we're getting a lot of new people in that don't have any tradition in hunting and uh don't have any of the old kind of way that you grew up in hunting and and maybe don't even have a grandfather or father that they have memories with in hunting um and that's not a bad thing i'm not i'm not bagging on that but at the same time i want to point out uh to those people that hunting is a lifestyle it's something that has um, been in cultures and handed down from generation to generation um, for years and it's also has to do with um, certain areas and geography and um, there's a whole lot more to it than just going out and getting meat um, don't get me wrong that's that's one of the big things about it 
But there is something bigger than that, right? There's there's something a lot bigger to it than that. Um, the the uncles that I was around growing up, the men that taught me a lot about hunting, um, one of their ashes is spread in this unit. Um, another one, we have a plaque of memorial in this unit. And so there's so much more to going to the Ochakos and hunting a pronghorn. Um, and the animal itself, right? Pronghorns are a animal of the West and they're, they're in our lore. And, um, you know, you look at uh, native cultures that, that grew up in this country as well. And I consider myself um, growing up in this country and understanding some of those ideas of, you know, having special places I couldn't imagine uh, with the European expansion when people were being put on reservations, um, people that have spent their whole lives in this ground and, and have special things going on in this ground. It's sacred. And um, for them to be just rooted up and told that they, they can't be there anymore, um, I don't think I could have been as patient as a lot of the Native people were patient. And I look at that now because there's places we have in, in this unit, we have places we call Hodge Point. We have places that we uh, call, um, uh, you know, the blind. We have so we have all of our own little names for these geographic areas, and it's not ours; it's public land. But at the same time, um, we feel like there is some kind of ownership to it, um, and we we do look after the land and the animals over there. We're always paying attention to what's going on. My uncle, um, he he keeps track of it, and he's over there all the time. And he grew up there. He, my, so let me go back just a little bit and let you know a little bit about the history that my family has with this land. My uncle started going there when it got out of reserve. I think it was in the forties. And then, um, and then of course my uncles were just boys then. And my mom was just a kid and they'd been going there every year. And like most blue collar people, this was their vacation. Okay. Um, they might've mixed some trips in to, you know, like Primeville Reservoir to go fishing. They were from Sandy, Oregon. And, um, so this was their vacation and this was the time that they grew up and they grew up in this unit. They grew up. This is how, uh, life was. It, it was a part of who we are as the Hodges. If, if you know anybody in the Hodge bunch and, and that means the Baileys too, that were brought in. My mom's a Hodge. That was her maiden name, but the Baileys and all the other people that were brought in, the Haynes and all these people that were brought in, they were all part of um, this big thing that revolved around um, the hunt. And so it's it's part of us. Um, I remember as a kid, you know, when my uncles would come back and they'd have deer and, and they'd be cleaning the deer and they'd, we'd always have the legs, they would, they would knock the legs off at the first knuckle you know and and us kids would be running around camp with those hooves making tracks everywhere around camp and uh i i could still i mean you could just understand to this day you, you, when you're a kid and you see the rigs coming back everybody was checking to look in the back to see if maybe the back was open on the on the bronco or maybe the uh um 
arms were hanging out the window and had blood on them and we'd we'd always check every time somebody came back we would check and back in those days there was a lot of mule deer you guys uh, but uh it was pretty pretty cool to grow up like that i was over there in my mother's uh stomach in october before i was born in november and then every year after that until i went into the coast guard and then i missed a few and then once i got out of the coast guard we've been back almost every year since um even if we don't draw tags um now because it's all control units um even if we don't draw tags over there we now uh, go over there for a reunion in august or in june and uh s- swim in the same swimming holes we did as kids uh, fish in the same creeks as we did as kids and all of those things that we did um, growing up. So with that said, um, I got some history over there and um, it is quintessential Western um, kind of long prairies with deep canyons, box canyons. It's the kind of stuff you'd see in a Western movie. And uh, I'm not going to talk it up too much because I don't want you guys getting tags to go over there. But um, but one thing that I wanted to point out was I'm not the only one. I, I, I'm not the only one that feels this way about this unit. Um, <laughs> there was actually a war that went on over there. And it's not that really that far um, back. That, that war wasn't really... As far as long ago as as we like to think it is, sometimes um, it was you know in the eighteen late eighteen hundreds. So yes, a hundred years ago or whatever you want to say, but um, it's pretty crazy when you start looking at um, people that have gone before you. And and I've stepped on the same rocks as these people. And um, there's a great book. Uh, or, or a series, and it's called Thunder Over Ochco, and it talks about the history of Oregon, really. And it, a lot of stuff was based in Ochico that happened in Oregon, especially during, like, the Indian Wars and things like that. Um, a lot of stuff was was trapped into this, or was based out of the Ochico. There was a, there's a place called Big Summit in Ochico, and it's all owned privately now by big ranches. But um, back then... The Indians, that's where they based all their stuff. I'm going to read, um, this is out of the third volume of Thunder Over Ochoco, and I'm going to read about that big summit. And it'll kind of give you an idea of, oh, how nostalgic this hunt's going to be. And uh, it's give you an idea of what, what kind of what we're looking at when we go over there. Um, and th- th- where we're going to take off in this book is the... There, there were a group of people that lived in uh, the Big Summit, and they were the Shoshone people. And they, uh, matter of fact, they were they were really um, smart warriors. And they actually tried. So the chief of this warring party, there was a lot of different Shoshone, um, but this group was kind of the ones that led the rebellion against the expansion of Europeans and uh, has no horse. It would be the, the English name of this, uh, this fellow who was kind of a war leader over there. And he stayed in um, big summit a lot. You know, they could make raids down into Klamath area. They did a lot. They make raids down into Klamath area, grab cattle. Cause there were quite a few, um, 
quite a few settlers down in that area. They grab cattle and then drive them back up to the summit, and then they'd be able to keep the cattle there on the summit, and that way they could um, winter, you know, go through the winter. And he um, he he was kind of the leader of of the rebellion against that, and he actually had. Um, Oh, I, I don't remember how many warriors with him, but they sent several parties in to try to get him out of there, to try to roost him out of there. And and if you look at um, if you look at just some of the geography, some of the names of the creeks and stuff there, just past the big summit, there's a, a bunch of breaks in there, which are actually going to be where I hunt. Um, and I've hunted there for years, and I didn't know why these names were there until I did a bunch of research. But there's there's Looney Creek, Stupid Creek, and Crazy Creek up there, and they all kind of come out of the same spot. Well, um, the reason that those the, the legend is, and I, I can't confirm this completely, but it's probably pretty pretty smart. Um, the legend is the reason that those names of those creeks became you know, loony, crazy is because that's where the cavalry go in and they'd set up those camps in there and the sergeants of the day, cause they would go through lieutenants pretty quick. You know, they were moving lieutenants back and forth and in and out, but the sergeants, they weren't moving. Um, they, they, their enlistments out here in the West was a lot longer than an officer. Well, a new officer would come in and they'd move them up there and they'd be told to go in there and, and, and get the, get the Shoshone out of there get the um has no horse and those guys out of there well they would go in and and strategically it looked like a good place to camp but all of the sergeants knew that it was not a good place to camp so when they would pick a creek to camp on they call they would say it was loony to camp, camp there or it was crazy or stupid to camp there and that's how the legend has it that these names of these creeks came about but at that area um that was that was the area of has no horse and his his tribe and even Polina was in there at times and Polina, um, you, you got to understand that th- there were a certain group of these guys that were trying to get all of the natives together and and make a confederacy and fight. The problem was is they fought so much among themselves that it was really hard for them to actually get together and. Uh, I think history would look a little different if they did, if they pulled it off because they were, I mean, it took years to try to get, um, to try to get has no horse out of there and yellow jacket and those guys, it took them forever to try to get them out of there. And I think that's part of the reason it was in, um, uh, it wasn't reservation. It was, um, I, I, I don't know. It was set aside, but I think that's part of the reason it was until the forties is they were trying to keep that from happening again because it was so hard to get them out of there in the first time and uh, and if you look at the ochco and you look how it's situated and big summit especially um you could see that it's really hard to penetrate as far as the geology is concerned and if you come up through lookout and you come through that um pass in there there's places in there that are so tight that they, they would just they'd have somebody at the lookout and they'd be waiting for them on the other end when they get through and they just uh absolutely run them down and so that was that was one of the big problems they were having getting through there so um i'm going to read you a little bit of a little bit of information here this is this is um from that era and this is 
when the uh, dragoons were sent in there and what they found on Big Summit. And some of the stuff is still there. I, you know, I hunt around Big Summit. I hunt on the uh, public stuff around Big Summit. Um, but it, it's pretty crazy when you start seeing exactly what they were doing there. And I'm going to read this um, and talk. It'll, it'll give you a little bit of the history and a little bit of the mystique of the Ochico. Based on information he had obtained from the Paiutes about the Indian trail leading to the forks of the uh, Crooker River into John Day Valley, Bonnie Castle sent Lieutenant Johnston with 15 dragoons. Yellow Jacket and Samuel Johnson uh, were wagon masters, and they had 10 days of ration to explore this route on july 1st and i bet you it was pretty warm there in july 1st um i've been over there in july and there's a lot of grass they didn't have to worry about feeding their cows or anything or feeding their horses or anything but um the day captain wallen left uh camp division it was bonnie castle's intention to link the trail with skulls survey so there's a bunch of things going on right now the dragoons were going into the interior there were people going around it and um the way that this this uh, author writes this is he's got so many hundreds of things going on at once it's hard to keep up with meantime bonnie castle swept into palina valley and went east without sighting an indian but he did locate what would become the northern section of the Wairika Trail. Doubling back through Rabbit Valley, he united with Lieutenant Dixon and they began the exploration of Big Summit Prairie, where they found evidence of recent large Shoshone encampment. Around the outer perimeter of the desert camp, uh, excuse me, of the deserted camp, there were improved rifle pits and breastworks of logs. This was the first recorded evidence of actual field fortification constructed by Indians, discovered some 22 years before Joseph of the Nez Perce was given credit for that military feat. Um, well, I, I don't know why this is such a big deal. Of course they did. Of course they had. I mean, of course they had rifle pits. I, I mean, they've been fighting forever. I, I, it always makes me laugh when I hear people talk about... Um, uh, oh, even ancient people, you know, and, and you know, the Indians uh, there weren't ancient, of course, but uh, of course they had rifle positions and they knew what they were doing. Um, I don't know why that was something that people were like, oh, my gosh, they actually had rifle fortifications. Have you ever been to Captain Jack's stronghold in California? They were master tacticians. They knew exactly what they were doing. Matter of fact, Has No Horse was running weapons into Captain Jack during the war, and nobody even knew it until later. Um, that's how masterful they were at what they did. And, uh, okay, we're going to continue here. They were more impressed over this discovery than the supply route that they were searching for. It cracks me up. I can't believe that the Indians had places to shoot from, and they fortified it. Um, from a military standpoint, this was extremely valuable information for it gave the army forewarning of what type of people were defending the Ochiko. They should have, they should have known that. Um, if you follow this book and you follow the, the things that happened there, um, there were several engagements, several engagements. Uh, but this bit of intelligence was ignored in the belief that the Indian could not possess such knowledge of military tactics, much less uh, apply it. They would find out real quickly 
that uh, that wasn't the case. They would find out real quickly that um, they would get their butts handed to them, and they did for several for several uh, years. I was over twenty years. They were getting their butts handed to them in there. They're also observed. Um, they also observed mirror flashes on top of high flat top mountains and tracks of horses, which joined Big Summit Prairie and proceeded north over the high divide between Lookout Mountain and the cone-shaped spire of Round Mountain. This would be the track of the large war party en route to the upper Ochco River Valley, the birthplace of Hasno Horse, with the proceeds westward looking for a military link of the mid-Willamette Valley. So, with that being said, um, and I, if, if you guys are still with me here, uh, I like I said, there's so much more to hunting than pulling a trigger. Um, I am going to go over this pronghorn hunt. I've been waiting 13 years for it. I've been putting in for 13 years, and I'm going to take my muzzleloader. And uh, this muzzleloader I got from Three Rivers Archery, and I put together. But I just feel like the, um, for years, um, for years, People have been hunting pronghorns in, in the Ochkos. And I kind of want to pay homage to that as I do it. Um, not just to those people, because, you know, has no horse and his family have been there for who knows how long. But also my own family. Um, one of the places that we normally see antelope a lot, my uncle, my uncle Dick, who is not, no longer with us, um, he... I have a picture of this too, so I, I'm, I'm, it's it's totally a truthful story. And I was there when it happened, and I remember it. And that's where we placed his plaque. And I I will include all that in the video that I make over there. Um, and hopefully you guys will want to watch it. I honestly, I'm not going to make that video um, to try to you know get views or whatever. I'm going to make it as a tribute to Ochico and to our family and 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 even and to has no horse and. And to the soldiers that have died over there because it's such a rich place. But um, he shot a deer. He shot a, a nice four-point that was coming across the prairie. He, my uncle always carried a Browning. He had a Browning BAR 300 Win Mag. And, um, and he was a crack shot. Uncle Dick, he could outshoot just about anybody in the family. Um, uncle Lloyd, I know you, if you're listening to this... Uh, I know you shot a lot of your animals too, but I'm just saying that for some reason, man, he was just really a good shot and he shot that deer and it was like 10, 15 seconds afterwards, a coyote came running out of the same place that that deer walked across. A lot of times back in those days, we did a lot of, um, where we would set people up on the prairies and then we'd push the draws and the deer wouldn't come running out. Um, you know, they're far too smart for that. We, they never let us get that close. The big bucks, they would just sneak out. And as they snuck out, they, they would find the little spots of like juniper that, that linked two draws together across those prairies. And they'd sneak through that. And we knew that. And we'd sit in there. I bet you the Indians knew that too. I bet you that's how they did it too. But they would sit in there and, um, my uncle didn't quite make it to that patch yet before, um, we pushed through and that deer came across and he shot it. And then not five seconds, 10 seconds after that, he shot a coyote and I have a picture of him and they, they both dropped within the same scope sighting. So it, 
he could see them both in the scope laying there dead and uh it was pretty interesting when when uh we got back up there and he's showing us coyote and the deer that he'd shot um so with that said i have memories like that all over that place we actually have a rock blind and you guys might have seen it in some of our previous elk hunting videos um that we my mom and i sat on that point i was all of 13 years old uh, yeah i think 13 because i'd already killed a deer my 12th 12th year and then that was the next year and we we were sitting up there and mom wanted to make sure to sit with me to make sure that you know because i was 13 whatever i don't know she should have known better i could i could sit anywhere in that country and not get lost but um we sat up on this point and and it's on top of uh, this lava and you could see all around you up there and we were sitting up there and it's a great little perch because um you know if you look at any of those prairies none of them are they look flat kind of but when you get in them there's a lot of dips and things well this little pinnacle you could sit on and you could see all those dips and you could see all the way across so it was something that we sat in all the time and then somebody be pushing down in the canyon well that happened and my uncle was down in the canyon pushing around and kicking around and they kicked out this nice three-point buck and i emptied my rifle and and I, at the time I was, I was shooting offhand, standing up because I, I get down on a knee and I couldn't see it. So I'd have to stand back up and I'd shoot an offhand. And after I emptied my rifle, um, that buck just walked across the prairie and went back in the other side. But, um, that was the pinnacle that we sat on. And the funny thing about that is, is when my uncle came up and I told him what happened, he's like, that's 350 yards you're probably not going to hit anything 350 yards offhand and, and kind of chewed me a little bit, you know, saying that's not a shot you should be taking. Um, and he was right. I mean, I was shooting underneath that buck all, and I mean, to the point where the buck wasn't really that concerned about getting out of there. He heard the shots. He didn't quite know where they came from, but I wasn't getting close enough to make him really, you know, you know what I'm talking about. So, Anyhow, that little pinnacle spot, we called the first bull I called in over in Ochoco's, we called him up out of, there's a little dip in there. I called him up out of that dip. Um, and my dad called a bull out of there one year. And they were, there's a little patch of timber that's just off of that. And my dad ca called a bull out of there. And he had my grandmother um, and my mom with him. And that bull started coming across and they freaked out. And, and my mom's, I don't know. I, the story goes, she started to climb a tree. She was afraid that bull was going to come in there and that ended up scaring the bull off. But, um, to say that we have a uh, history over there is an understatement. Um, but that pinnacle, we now, one of our rules is over there is we made the kind of like a little rock wall in there. And basically it's for rifle elk season, which I haven't done forever. Um, probably since 2000, no, not 2000, probably since 1991 or 1989. Anyhow, no, it was probably 1988 because um, I started picking up a bow in, before I got out of high school. So anyhow, um, it that, that little blind, if you pass it, you have to put a rock on it. That's our, and now it's pretty big. 
and basically we built it to uh, hold heat in so the wind wouldn't blow the fire out when we're sitting up there so with that said there's way more to hunting you guys than pulling trigger when i'm sitting in that blind i could hear my uncles i could hear his jeep coming across um who's no longer with me i i could i could see my grandfather um his coveralls and walking into camp with his red hat and uh pulling his pulling the the magazine out of his old 720 and uh i can remember all the or 760 pump master i can remember all this stuff and that's a part of hunting just as much as the rest of it and um all you guys that you know don't have this in your history and you're listening to this um start creating it start creating this in your history because this is this this is ancient this is something that humans have always had in in them is to talk about i mean you look at um a lot of the native high uh pyrographics high whatever uh rock on the rock walls they're writing down their memories too and they're putting that out and we do do the same so there is so much more to hunting than pulling the trigger or eating um an elk there's a whole lot more to it and and it and it lives within the human spirit and it's something that we should celebrate and um that's what i'm going to try to bring with this next film when i go over to the ochako and it's going to be more you guys it's going to be more about the hunt itself um you know and and even if i don't film a kill in it um i i'm going to get my i'm going to get my pronghorn but if i if I don't get to film it, because nobody's going to be able to be there with me to, to shoot the pronghorn. So I don't know if I could be able to film it, but the film itself is going to show something about hunting that we kind of have lost in this, in this modern uh, hunting society. And hopefully we start thinking about that and getting back to it. So hopefully you guys are still listening. Thanks for listening. If you are, um, there will be more podcasts on this. I'm probably going to make some while I'm over there because I just want to try to bring this out. And if nobody else listened to it and that just, this just sticks around for my grandkids to listen to, so be it. But I think it has some value. I think it's something that people really uh, want to attach themselves to. And I, I hope that's the case. So thanks for listening. Um, I hope to see you guys uh with on on instagram and on facebook showing off your traditions and building new ones and showing where that's going in your lives all right thanks a bunch for listening until then shoot straight thanks for joining us for another installment of the barebow hunter podcast remember we couldn't even be talking about this stuff if it wasn't for our public land. So go and support the people that are protecting it. Backcountry Hunters and Anglers and TRCP. Also, if you'd like to see more of Barebow Hunters, go to our Facebook group. Go to our Instagram at Barebow Hunters. Like us and hashtag all of your photos with your Barebow goodness in them. Barebow Hunter. We have a website as well. You can go over there check out the rest of the podcast we have videos we have t-shirts and hats thanks again until then shoot straight